Blue 58! Hey there, welcome to another edition of Blue 58, the official Packers podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm John Meerdink, back as your host as always. Let's get right down to it with some headlines. Starting today, not with the Hall of Fame game as I expected, but with the physically unable to perform list. Aaron Rodgers weighing in on what he expects from Jordy Nelson and Jared Cook. Says they're coming back next week. A little bit unclear as to exactly what next week means, but it's sooner than we've heard anybody say that Jordy Nelson and Jared Cook are coming back at any time. Last we heard it was going to be three or four weeks. What exactly that meant at the time was also a little bit unclear, so it's a little bit unclear what Aaron Rodgers means by next week as well. Does he mean after they play the Browns? Does he mean at some time this week? We'll see. Point is, Jordy Nelson, Jared Cook, coming back soon, and that can only be good news for the Packers. Up next, John Kuhn saying goodbye to Green Bay Packers fans. Earlier this week, I guess late last week, about August 7th, uh, John Kuhn tweets out a long message via Twitter, actually August 6th. Uh, the statement reads, Today I become a member of the New Orleans Saints. It's a bittersweet experience for me as I am excited for this new opportunity, but will miss Packer Nation, my teammates, coaches, and the entire Packer family. I wanted to make sure every Packer fan knows how important my time in Green Bay was to me and my family. My years in Green Bay will always be incredibly special, and I will never forget how the fans embraced me from day one. As a small school college player from a tiny town in Pennsylvania, having the opportunity to hear your name chanted by thousands of fans, both at home and on the road, is an experience I will always cherish. Nothing will ever be able to replace my memories over the years, from training camps, incredible wins, Lambeau leaps, and our great Super Bowl run. Thanks again to the entire Packer Nation, and I hope to see you again in the future. Obviously, big loss, John Kuhn not coming back to the Packers this year, but maybe not as big a loss as some people think it is. Still, pretty nice message coming from John Kuhn. Looked like he may be headed back to the Packers for a little bit uh, last week or the week prior when the Packers said maybe hold off on taking out that message in the Green Bay Press-Gazette, thanking everybody. Now, though, officially Kuhn on to New Orleans and won't be seen in a Packers uniform this year. As to when that soon uh, could be, Kuhn references there at the NCU again soon, that could come not this season, but next season. Because of the schedule rotation for how the NFL puts together its schedule every year, we already know all but two of the Packers' opponents for next year. One of those opponents will be the New Orleans Saints, and it will be at Lambeau Field. I'm not saying John Kuhn will still be on the roster next year for the New Orleans Saints, but if he is, he will have a trip uh, on the calendar for Green Bay. It could happen. Not saying it will happen. I kind of think this is going to be it for Kuhn, maybe one last season. But the possibility is there that he could be back in Green Bay next season, if only for one game. Interestingly enough, this is kind of interesting. I just thought of this off the top of my head. Uh, Packers great Jim Taylor also finished his career in New Orleans. Uh, officially, he was a fullback. So the Packers do have a legacy of sending uh, their end of their career fullbacks down to New Orleans. Finally, Adam Schefter tweeting out today that uh, the NFL still plans to interview linebackers Clay Matthews, Julius Peppers, and James Harrison before the season, about PED accusations per league source. 
That is interesting to me, and I'll tell you why. At least I hope that you would realize that I would tell you why, this being a podcast about information about the Green Bay Packers, but I digress. We've seen that the NFL, Roger Goodell in particular, is very willing to punish people if he is at least suspicious about what is going on. He doesn't need evidence because he's Roger Goodell. He doesn't have to have evidence if he believes you've uh, tarnished tarnished the shield, if you've caused any sort of disgrace to the NFL through your actions or, in some cases, inactions for not doing the right thing. That wrong thing that you do could be not communicating, not cooperating with an NFL investigation. And if the NFL decides that Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers have not cooperated to the extent that they believe they should have, I would not at all be surprised to see either Matthews or Peppers or both suspended for part of this season. That is ultimately what got Tom Brady in trouble, not cooperating with the NFL's investigation, destroying the phone, uh, doing whatever he did with the text messages, uh, with those uh, the deflator guy, whoever that was supposed to be. It wasn't the crime, it was the lack of cooperation from Brady that ended up getting him suspended for the first four games of this upcoming season. Whether or not that happy, happens to Matthews and Peppers remains to be seen, obviously, but the precedent is there, and the NFL has now gotten a couple different courts to uphold their decision to suspend Tom Brady. Uh, if they If it can happen to Brady it sure can happen to Peppers and Matthews, and to a lesser extent to Harrison, but we don't care about him so much. Uh, finally, one last headline I'd like to to direct your attention toward is a, a great transcription of some of the comments Brett Favre made uh, to Pete Doherty, uh, for, I guess, of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, but now they're just identifying that as the, the USA Today Network, Wisconsin. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. At any rate, before Brett Favre gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, he has this conference call with a bunch of beat writers throughout the country, offers up all sorts of interesting comments. One that stuck out to me uh, was a quote about something he did growing up. Uh, Doherty writes that Favre was also curious enough about the league while growing up in Mississippi that he researched a little about the 1960 Packers. Uh, Here's the quote from Favre. I was a diehard football fan. I did my first book report in third grade on Paul Horning. Couldn't tell you where Green Bay was. I knew it was somewhere way away. But I knew all about the Packers. I knew all about Paul Horning. Did I ever think I'd play for them? No, I thought I was going to be a cowboy. Favre grew up a big Cowboys fan. I thought that was interesting because uh, Paul Horning retired after the 1966 season. Favre wasn't born until 1969, which would have put him, uh, if you do the math, at eight years old in third grade about, what, 1977? Interestingly enough, uh, Favre picked a player who had retired before he was born to do his book report about in third grade. That's going to about do it for headlines for today. But before we get on to our big topic, want to bring in a new segment that I think will become a regular feature here on the podcast. See if you can guess what it is by our new theme music. That's right. We're bringing in some Mythbusters to Blue 58. I think this is something that we need to do a little bit more often here, both at thepowersweep.com and on Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. The myth I would like to take on this week is something that I saw pop up quite a bit throughout the week leading up to Brett Favre's Hall of Fame induction this past weekend. On my birthday, again, I might add, as I did last week, August 6th, 
turned 28 years old. Brett Favre went into the Hall of Fame. Pretty noteworthy day for everybody. But the rumor, the myth that I would like to address is that in 2009, Brett Favre, as a Minnesota Viking, had the best season of his career. I'm not one for hot takes. I'm not one to just spout things off. So please, believe that I am coming from a place of reasoned, uh, considered thought when I say this. If you think that 2009 was Brett Favre's greatest season as a professional football player, you quite simply do not know what you're talking about. Here's why. 2009. Undeniably great season for Brett Favre. Probably his best season after the year 2000. Probably his best season between 1998 and 2000, from 1998 to the end of his career. Maybe from 1999 through the end of his career. But not his best season in the NFL. Not even close. And here is why. Brett Favre's 2009 season was a very good season. Brett Favre's seasons in 1995, 1996, and 1997 were at the time among the all-time greatest seasons that any football player had ever played. They were transformative, revolutionary seasons, and even among the stats of today would stack up very, 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 very well. Let's look at some of the numbers. 2009, Favre season, very good, as I said. Goes 363 of 531 passing. A completion total of 68.4%. The best mark of his career. Throws for 4,202 yards, 33 touchdowns, and 7 interceptions. Very, very good season. Up there among the league leaders. Second in passing touchdowns uh, to Drew Brees. Brees had 34. A second to Brees... In passer rating, Breeze comes in at 109.6. Favre's is 107.2. Comes in ninth in overall passing yards uh, with 4,202. Matt Schaub, before his dramatic decline in Houston, led the league with 4,770 passing yards. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, comes in ahead of Favre in in total passing yards, as well as sacks for whatever that's worth. Rodgers did not have a good year uh, with the offensive line that year. Uh, passes intercepted, or the passing, uh, the interception percentage and efficiency stat I like to look at. Favre ties for the league lead uh, with Aaron Rodgers at 1.3%. Again, the best mark of his career. Very, very good season. But let's look at where Favre's overall numbers rank uh, through 2009. If you look at passer rating, or passer rating, This is the one where Favre has the best case uh, for putting his season among the all-time greats. In 2009, Favre's mark of 107.2 was good for the 14th best all-time, according to ProFootballReference.com. Today, though, that number has been surpassed again and again and again, and Favre's 2009 ranking has now been dropped all the way down to 25th. Aaron Rodgers has put up multiple seasons, three of them, in fact, that are better than Favre's 2009 season. I don't know if that shows specifically that his 2012, 2014, and 2011 seasons were that much better than Favre's, but it does show that the game changed. I'm, I would argue that Favre's great 2009 season wasn't so much a result of him playing especially well, though he did. 
it's evidence of how much the league had changed between when Favre was really in his heyday in the mid-90s and where it ended up in 2009. Let's look then at Favre's earlier MVP campaigns, see how they stack up compared to 2009 and all time. So in 1995, probably, although 1996 was great as well, 95 probably Favre's greatest MVP campaign of his three. Completes 359 passes for 4,413 yards and 38 touchdowns. Sure, he had 13 interceptions. Sure, he only completed uh, 63% of his passes. But at the time, that was among the best at his position. Even the worst among those stats, the 63% completion percentage, was sixth in the league. His yards per, or his overall yards, with 4,413, best in the NFL. Passing touchdowns with 38, best in the NFL. Overall passer rating, second in the NFL, 99.5. Behind, oddly enough, Jim Harbaugh uh, of Indianapolis, who had a great season that year. Not quite as good as Favre's, uh, for obvious reasons, but still, pretty good season. Passing touchdown percentage, first in the NFL. Among the all-time leaders through 1995, Favre's 4,413 yards, 12th in NFL history. Currently, that ranks 60th in NFL history. His uh, season, or his passing season in 1990, or 2009, good for just 26th all time. His passing touchdowns in 1995. At the time, the third best season ever. Today, Still the 18th best season ever. His 2009 total of 30, 33, very good, but pretty pedestrian. 33 in in 1995 would barely have qualified for the top seven. He would have tied with Y.A. Tittle, Dan Fouts, Warren Moon, and Jim Kelly, and himself, as well as Warren Moon again, uh, for seventh all-time. Very good, not among the all-time greats. As good as far as 2009 season was, it's absurd, absurd, just absurd to say that it's his greatest season ever. Just his 1995 season alone, in which he was an unparalleled quarter quarterback in the NFL, easily better than his 2009 season, just compared to how he stacked up with his peers and where it put him all time. 1995, 1996, and 1997 were revolutionary seasons for NFL quarterbacks. No one had done anything like that at the time. And for a long time after that, no one put up numbers like Favre did in that three-year run. And to do it three consecutive years, to even suggest that one single season was as good as Favre was in the mid-90s, just it doesn't, it doesn't pass muster. And seeing how much better or how Favre's 95 season compares even with where the greats were in 2009, it still would have been among the best seasons in the NFL. He would have led the led the NFL in 2009 in touchdown passes if you had just transplanted 1995 Favre into 2009. He was markedly better in many categories than the older, wiser Brett Favre, and doing it with without an all-time great running back. People forget that in 2009, Peterson led the league, Adrian Peterson led the league in rushing touchdowns. The Packers never had anything close to that uh, during the Super Bowl era. 
Dorsey Levins and Edgar Bennett were fine, but it was the Brett Favre show. He carried those teams. And to say that what he did then was less impressive than what he did in 2009 just shows an ignorance to the past and, and what he meant at the time. That's my myth-busting segment. That is my rant. I feel like this might be a little bit of a ranty podcast because we didn't have a game this weekend that we would have talked about at length on this podcast, but this is what I've got for you. So maybe uh, use those stats and share them with your friends. On to the big topic, but first, a word from our sponsors. Our sponsor for this week is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you need somebody to put out half as much effort as you need to to put on an NFL football game, call the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and we'll almost get you ready for game time. No, but in all seriousness, there is no actual sponsor for this week's episode of Blue 58, and there is no sponsor for thepowersweep.com, at least not yet. We are an up-and-coming enterprise, obviously. We're growing very quickly. We are adding Facebook likes and Twitter followers and all sorts of subscribers on the blog. But we don't have anybody to help us along in this endeavor. And we would like that person to be you. If you are listening and would like to get your message out to Packers fans and listeners and readers the world over, give us a call. Well, not literally. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter, both places, at The Power Sweep, or on Gmail at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Again, reach us through Facebook and Twitter or at Gmail, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Now back to the show. This week, I would like to talk to you about Packers coverage, specifically the world of newspapers. This is going to sound a little bit insider baseball, or maybe a little bit insider football. But please bear with me. I think it's an important topic and one that fans need to be aware of because these are the sort of discussions and issues that are going to shape how you remember the Packers, how you come to understand the Packers, the sort of access you have to your favorite football team. Right now is a very interesting time in the world of media that covers the Green Bay Packers. Presently, There is one company that does the vast majority of Green Bay Packers football coverage. And there's a reason for that. Gannett Media owns both the Green Bay Press-Gazette and now the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. That means that Bob McGinn of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Michael Cohen of the Journal, Tom Silverstein of the Journal, Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, Pete Doherty of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, and all the other guys from those two newspapers are actually working in essentially what amounts to the same newsroom. These two outlets have begun to share coverage. They've begun to align their coverage plans. And that means that the quality of coverage that you receive on the Green Bay Packers has by design decreased. It's not as good because there's not as much of it. And there's not competing viewpoints. The two biggest sources of Green Bay Packers news are now aligning their resources in a way that we haven't seen before. Milwaukee alone used to have two competing newspapers, both reporting on the Green Bay Packers and the happenings thereof. Now there is one company that controls both of the major newspapers that covered the Green Bay Packers, and I think that is just a darn shame. How did this come to be? Well, this actually, believe it or not, is something that I have firsthand knowledge of. Because in a previous life, uh, I guess as little as last year, 
uh, I used to work for a company that was formerly part of the company that used to own the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, you may recognize my name or my voice uh, as a former anchor and reporter for 620 WTMJ in Milwaukee. For two and a half, close to three years, uh, I was a radio broadcaster for 620 WTMJ. They are the flagship Packers radio station. And also, for most of the time I worked there, they were owned by a company called the Journal Broadcast Group, a larger the Journal Media Group, a Journal Media, as it was known uh, in the halls of Radio City uh, shorthand. Journal Media was the locally controlled company that owned both the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and 620 WTMJ. WTMJ, in fact, originally stood for the Milwaukee Journal, uh, the Milwaukee Journal being the, the paper that preceded the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The other paper was called, oddly enough, the Milwaukee Sentinel. Mid-90s, they combined them. You got the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. That's a story for another day. But in 2015, well, maybe it was 2014, a couple years ago, a company called EW Scripps, based out of Cincinnati, struck a deal with Journal Media. At that, at that time, journal broadcasting. What happened was EW Scripps took over all of the broadcast operations of the journal media company. Uh, they owned other stations throughout the Midwest, uh, gave EW Scripps a broadcasting footprint that they hadn't had before. In large part, the, the buyout went mainly for journals, TV stations, but being a big radio station, they got us thrown in. We were part of the deal. As it pertains to your Packers coverage, the important part of that deal was that the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and several newspapers owned by E.W. Scripps were spun off into their own company called either Journal Media or Journal Publishing. I forget exactly what they called it at the time. That's not really so important as you remember that the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel stayed its own entity uh, for the 2015 Packers season. But in the time since then, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has been purchased by Gannett Media. They're the company that owns and operates USA Today and a host of other newspapers throughout Wisconsin and the United States. Uh, here in Indiana, where I live right now, uh, they own the Indy Star, uh, the biggest newspaper in Indiana. Many other newspapers they own as well, uh, including quite a few in Wisconsin. In fact, if you're a regular reader or a subscriber to things like the Sheboygan Press, the uh, the Manitowoc, I think it's the Tribune. I used to read it uh, for my news gathering capacity. Uh, the Oshkosh, uh, the Oshkosh Northwestern, a bunch of a bunch of newspapers throughout Wisconsin are now owned by Gannett Media. As a result, the pool has gotten a lot smaller, and the sort of Packers coverage that we've gotten from that one company has gotten smaller as well. Previously, you would get Packers training camp reports from two different perspectives. The guys in Green Bay would write their perspectives. The guys from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel would write their perspectives. That has all disappeared. Now, since they're all working together, you just get the one shot of what the Packers did that day. And I've noticed it already in two main areas. First of all, since they're all coordinating their coverage plans, you get one guy just looking to write the daily report. Other guys contribute, but one guy essentially writes the daily report. That's given us less information about uh, the biggest position groups. It seems like we don't hear as much about 
the quarterbacks. Don't hear as much about the wide receivers. Don't hear much as much about the, the pass rushing drills involving the outside linebackers. What you do tend to get, and this may be a little bit better, is more of those featurey type profiles of individual players. That's good in their own right, but it makes it difficult for people who really want to get a feel for what's going on at training camp every single day. You just have fewer eyes watching the field looking for specific things that they would have put into a daily report that you're not getting anymore because they've shifted how they do their coverage. I hesitate to make this prediction, but it happens every time a media company takes over another media company. But I think there are going to be reductions in staff among the Packers beat writers. Wes Hodkowitz, formerly of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, may have done Gannett a favor when he jumped ship and started joining or started writing for Packers.com. I'm guessing that before too long, you're going to see a couple of the big-time beat writers uh, for either the Journal or Green Bay Press-Gazette try to get a job with uh, a bigger newspaper or maybe uh, just jump up in the USA Today network and go work for the big national mothership and cover NFL football from a more national perspective. It's happened before. Tom Pelissero, formerly of the Green, Pe- Green Bay Press-Gazette, ended up working for the Minneapolis Star Tribune for a while, and now he works for the USA Today Network. Or at least he did. I think he may have moved somewhere else in the meantime. I'm also really intrigued and interested to see what happens when we actually roll around to game time. Because also, a lot like training camp, we're just not going to get as many perspectives on the games as we used to. You're going to have one guy write a game report instead of two or three going to have one guy, maybe or maybe fewer guys, traveling to the games. How, what reason does uh, the Green Bay Press-Gazette and Milwaukee Journal Sentinel have for each sending beat reporters to cover away games? I don't know why they would do that uh, if they're all essentially working under the same umbrella. This is not a good time for Packers media, and I fear it's only going to get worse. So this is my call for action. If you like what's going on at places like thepowersweep.com, if, you, if you're a fan of a blog or website like acmepackingcompany.com, the SB Nation blog, if you like Cheesehead TV, or whatever Big Packers blog you read, please support us, help us. It's getting difficult, or it's going to get difficult to get good Packers information as this media landscape continues to change. You're not going to be able to rely as heavily on some of the practice reports that you see, some of the game reports that you see, because there just simply aren't going to be as many of them. If you like what you're reading on thepowersweep.com or any other of the Packers blogs out there that do good work, please support us. Find a way to join in. Maybe start writing for one of them. It doesn't have to be us. If you think you have something to contribute, do it. Take pictures for somebody. Go to practice if you can. Think about the sort of media that you're consuming and how it relates to the Packers, how it relates to the overall picture. I just want you to be aware. I just want you to think about how the this Packers coverage is changing. Think about it because it's it's easy to miss it if you're not familiar familiar with that world. 
reductions are going to come. That's how these things work. Nobody buys a media company to continue to spend the amount of money they were spending before. It sure as heck isn't going to grow. They're not going to add more beat writers or more Packers coverage. If anything, it's only going to get less. I know this podcast is a little bit different from what we typically do. But frankly, with the Packers Hall of Fame game getting canceled this weekend, we don't have a whole lot else to talk about. We could talk about third string wide receiver battles. We could talk about uh, what's going on with the future of the wide receiver position. But at this point in training camp, we're past all those sort of positional previews. We're past speculating on what's going to happen on the roster, at least until we get some actual games under our belt, and that's not going to happen until this weekend now. So this is what we're stuck with instead, and I want you to be aware of what's going on in the world of Packers media because it's important, and it's going to to change how you potentially view the team. So just be aware of that as we go throughout this Packers season. Um, It's going to to be an interesting time in Packers media, especially when we get to next offseason. Let's see what happens. Uh, but I, I fear that it's not going to be very good. And that's going to just about do it for this week's episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. We're not going to do mailbag this week. We're going to save those questions until next week and maybe, hopefully, look at a little bit more closely at next week's preseason matchup with the Cleveland Browns. Interesting opportunities for the Packers ahead, and be sure to keep tuning in uh, here at Blue 58 and uh, online at thepowersweep.com. Uh, Be sure to subscribe through iTunes and Google Play. I'll include those links in the podcast description as well as the blog post that goes out with this uh, episode of Blue 58. Uh, Be sure to subscribe and uh, rate us on iTunes if you can. Uh, Leave us a review if you like what you're hearing. That'll help more people find the program. All sorts of good stuff coming up this week on the Power Sweep and uh, on the blog right now, in fact, there's all sorts of good stuff. We just wrapped up our series on backup quarterbacks with a, and an interesting post, I think, because I wrote it, about Billy Bullock, the guy the Packers wanted to be the heir apparent to Brett Favre. Read it. It's on the blog at thepowersweep.com right now. I guarantee you're going to learn something about the Packers that you didn't know before. For Gary Zillaby, I'm John Meerdink. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Blue 58. We'll see you soon. Baby, baby.